Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to episode 111, the first podcast of 2013. As you may recall, we have several dozen questions hanging over our heads, left by listeners like you from last year. How many do we actually manage to answer in this two-hour podcast? Write the number down on a piece of paper before listening, and then check it at the end. You will be astounded. As always, you can find our show notes over at SavageCritic.com, and considering we do not get around to discussing comics until really the 38-minute mark or so, you may want to check the show notes to make sure we talk about what you want to hear when you want to hear it. Because today's topics include the triumvirate of cocoa, cocoa puffs, cocoa crispies, and cocoa pebbles, the first season of American Horror Story, the TV adaptation of Tommy and Tuppence, Misfits, Canadian Television, Amazing Spider-Man 700, Final Crisis, Batman and the Outsiders Annual Number 1, Sachi-chan Good by Akira Toriyama and Masakazu Katsura, Flash 15, Prophet 32, and, as if we could avoid it, much, much more. As always, we hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jeff Lester. And a Happy New Year to you, Graham McMillan. How are you? I'm good. Your microphone sounds great. Is this a new one? Well, it's the old new one. Do you remember the the one that I had for a while that then broke and had to be sent off to repair, so then I was using the crap headset? But yeah, it sounds, uh, it sounds remarkably clear, doesn't it? Yes, I like it. Good job, technology. <laughs> Indeed. Now, if this one can just manage to not be broken for longer than three months, thus surpassing the old <laughs> microphone's record, I'll be mightily pleased. Well, we'll see how that works out for, for all of us, Jeff. So true. So true, Graham. So uh, did you have a great set of holidays? This is the first time you and I have talked in 2013, or really the last two weeks. Uh, yes, it is. Although we have emailed, we should we should point that out in case everyone thinks that, like we just sever contacts. Well, yes, podcasting light email, uh, light emailing. You're busy. No. Sometimes I didn't get replies. Well, you know that's because that's because <laughs> I actually was busy. <laughs> how was my how was my holiday period? Well, does it surprise anyone to know I spent most of it working? <laughs> I have to say, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, you know you know what I did, which is stupid. Mm. I took on an extra gig. <laughs> really? Why? Why? What? Like, literally just before Christmas, uh, someone got in contact and was like, can you do this? It's it's reasonable money, and it's really short notice, but it sounds really simple. But the deadline is January 1st. Oh, God. And I was like, sure. How hard can that be? Anytime you think that... That is actually the answer. <laughs> Much harder than you think it will be. Yeah, I, I, I screwed myself over the holiday period. I, I, let's see. I had Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off. Oh, that's good. But that's it. And that's it. Oh, Graham. Oh. That's, yeah. Um. I. But it's it's my own fault. Like I took this extra thing on. Can you talk about what the extra thing is for those of us who are curious? Is it up yet? Is it a thing you can talk about? Uh, it's not a thing I can talk about publicly. Not because it is incredibly exciting. It's actually incredibly dull. Ooh. It is a... It's one of these things that it's like... It's, I put it this way. It won't run with my name on it. Ooh. It's a, it's a corporate thing. It's it's And it's not a corporate comics thing or anything like that. Now, when you say corporate, do you mean like Fifty Shades of Macmillan? 
Fifty Shades of Corporate? What? Yeah, Fifty Shades of Corporate. No, I just it's your whole like I'm. It's not running with my name. I'm like mm, porn. Oh no 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 no. Uh, I I it was providing copy for a uh, a particular thing. I see. It wasn't like an editorial thing. So it wasn't like porn. No, so, sorry. You know, I'm still waiting. I'm like you're you're hoping that one. Yeah, you're gonna slip up and be like, yeah, okay, it was porn. Yeah. Uh, Graham. Crikey. I'm back. Uh, was that the accidental mute button? It was the accidental mute button. This I literally <laughs> I crossed my legs, and because my headset is <laughs> like the, the cable is dangling, I somehow managed to drive the cable between my legs. Here she means go on, Jeff Lester. <clears throat> yes. Well, hold on. Let me. Why don't you talk for a few seconds more while I put you on mute? No, put me on mute so that I can. Um, Close a couple of things because one thing is this microphone sounds fantastic, but anytime I touch the desk, it's like it's now going to be closing the pornography on his computer. Yeah, one moment, please, everyone. Wow, and you can actually hear him go away, which is the best part. I feel like I could say something really exciting, but he's still listening, which kind of ruins it. Uh, listeners, just to let you know, it was not anything exciting that I was working on, it was just something that paid quite well. Um, and I thought, hey, why not? It's Christmas. Uh, the, and the answer was because uh, you will lose your holiday. So, yeah, I worked. And so that's am, how my holiday was. Am I how back? You? I'm back. Yeah. Well, oh, my holidays. Yes, my holidays were, um, uh, you know, Graham, in the whole goofus and gallant comic strip that is our lives, I think. You had a holiday, didn't you? What's that? You had a great holiday, didn't Well, it you? depends on what you mean by great. It was imp- it was impressive the amount of things I did not do. Like, I really should have done much more stuff than, than I technically it, did. Were, was it intentionally not doing? Yeah, I, well, sort of, sort of. I, I definitely took, a, you know, took four or five days off from the project that I've been, you know, beating myself about the ears and neck with uh, over the last several months. I was like, well, I'm not going to make this deadline, so I should just relax and, uh, you know, take these four or five days off. And um, Which, to be fair, is actually a really good thing to do. I, I would think so. And yet by the time, insane. what's that? You were driving yourself insane with it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I was, and, uh, and and I need to figure out a way to somehow get back into the space of doing working on it without having it be uh oh okay well this is my entire life and i'm just going to be miserable so i don't know i'm still trying to find that mode so this week i thought i would actually do because i had a good chunk of it off thank goodness um i figured i would be sort of doing a good job of balancing like my work you know my my own work stuff and and projects and i didn't quite do that i did do a significant amount of goofing off though so um, part of me was actually very much like, wow, I'm going to be, it's going to be great talking to Graham. It's going to feel horrible feeling like I didn't do anything, but once we're through talking, I'll have things that I have to do, you know? So it's, it's actually that, that sad where I'm like, oh, I, I just, m- my own level of willpower was very low. And I think the holidays are not, there's just so many opportunities for you to be just an utter slob, at least for me. And I don't think that that really helps me at the end of the day. It's like New Year's rolls around and I'm just like, like I went and I went and bought a box of Cocoa Pebbles for no other reason than I could buy a box of Cocoa Pebbles. You know what I mean? And then I just. What are Cocoa Pebbles? Uh, Cocoa Pebbles are, um, they're, they're like a breakfast cereal that has had the, the Flintstones license attached to it forever. So they're 
basically like if you get fruity pebbles, it's sort of like if you could have the fruit flavored equivalent of Rice Krispies. If you get cocoa pebbles, it's like the cocoa equivalent of Rice Krispies, except they don't really pop uh, when you put them in milk. Just your, it's more like your dreams of thinking of yourself as a healthy, productive person pop when you put them in milk. So I have, I have the strangest feeling that they exist in Britain and they're called Cocoa Puffs. Could be. Could be, could be. <clears throat> I, I mean, there's honestly us Americans were a sucker for cocoa. So you know, you got the cocoa krispies uh, that are actually out. I think there were indeed cocoa puffs, although I can't think of the name of the elephant or monkey or whatever it was that was the actual sponsor for it for several years. But you know what I mean? Like I seem to think that the same people who had sugar pops and things like that also did have cocoa puffs. Actually, is Cocoa Puffs uh, like an extension of? Was that the one with the bird that was, and it was like an extension of the Captain Crunch stuff, or no? See, you say that like I know that I I <laughs> do not know cereal people in America. I could tell you that in Britain, Cocoa Puffs is a monkey. Yes, now and Sugar Puffs is a big orange monster. A big orange monster. Really? Yeah. Do you remember um, Sasquatch from Alpha Flight? Yes. He's kind of like Sasquatch mixed with. Uh, he's like Sasquatch's hair mixed with Ben Grimm. Okay, my mind just kind of like blew a fuse at that. Uh, because like, isn't there like some character in like a Don Simpson's comic book, this like yarn man or something like that, that kind of looks like that? He, he, no, 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 he doesn't look like that. Hang on, I've actually just Googled uh, this character and I'm going to I'm going to send you a picture. Okay, oh please. Oh my please. god, if you if you Google image search honey monster, you don't have to, Jeff, I will be sending Oh you, man. You bizarrely get what can only be new publicity photographs of the honey monster in which she's wearing a tracksuit top <laughs> and slacks. <laughs> okay, that that definitely sounds like Britain only, you know. Oh, Jeff, yeah, um you're going to get this listeners who may be uh, uh, sensitive to noises. Jeff is going to have to touch his keyboard now because I'm sending him this image. But uh, there we go. Oh, and you sent it during Skype. To put this up on the thing. A bitch. It was that whole thing of like you're not going to email it to me. Um, oh, do you want me to email it to you? Is that easier? Uh, yes, it would be easier. I will email it to you then because this <laughs> this has to be seen to be believed. So yes, Jeff, this should be the image that um, you sent. Okay, that I for this perfect. because this is amazing. <laughs> Okay, well, here's there's a completed file transfer. Wait, is that does that mean I can look at this? God damn it! Fuck you, Skype. Oh. It might be. <laughs> this is gonna be great listening for everyone. I emailed it to you. I actually canceled the transfer, so it might have been completed because I canceled it. Okay. Oh my God! What the hell is that? Jesus Christ! Exactly right. This it's the greatest. Like that is the honey monster, and he is the sugar puffs, which is like honey puffs. Oh um, man, the sugar puffs character in britain is he wearing like cargo pants or those like pockets on the side amazing isn't it oh my god i mean he really should be like the spokesman for like you know comic book store owners or something he really does look like <laughs> if someone tried to take brian hibbs and turn him into like a corporate mascot <laughs> now that i could now that you said that i could totally see that as brian hibbs <laughs> <laughs> oh god Indeed. <laughs> uh, oh, people, I'm sorry. Well, um, 
Yeah, so wait, so you didn't enjoy your, your laziness, or you did enjoy your laziness, well, I don't you just know. guilty about it? Yeah, it's kind of a six of one, half dozen of another. Like, we watched a lot of movies, it was great watching movies. I watched the entire first season of American Horror Story, and that was a mixed bag, you know? That was, that's just one of those horrible TV experiences where what starts off is this, you know, fine, top-notch Peruvian flake cocaine like quickly becomes like grotty crack that you have to like clean out of the inside of someone else's mouth in order to get your high and it's like just degrading you know like the first five issues of the first season of american horror story i'm like it it was so um uh i knew what it was what dogs feel like when you like scratch them in that one spot behind the ear and they just sort of start thumping the leg and their eyes kind of start spinning around like it was like everything that i wanted in a horror tv show like serialized horror entertainment uh on the tv i was like this is phenomenal and then by the end it was like beetlejuice without michael keaton and i was like oh, how did you go so horribly wrong and what's interesting it, yeah hmm? Pretty much guaranteed that I know I'm now going to watch it based based entirely on that description. <laughs> I'm I am fascinated by things that go wrong. Well, then I think you will be really fascinated in this in, in some ways. I mean, I, I, because the way in which I think that it goes wrong is very much the way that um, the way that TV seems to work more often than not. You know what I mean? Like you introduce, like you start with from this one place. Uh, with TV and then you know because it's sort of growing in real time and there's like a strong feedback reaction all you need is like you know one actor you know all you need is is like Ben Linus and then suddenly the whole course of Lost goes in like an absolutely completely different direction you know yeah, yeah. Um, and so there was a lot with American Horror Story where they were like Okay, we're just throwing all this stuff into the soup pot, and what we're going to end up with is some mighty fine soup. And as time went on, I don't know if it was just a matter of ratings or comfort zone or what, it really became a case of like, and we're feeling like, you know, we've got to, we're going to, you thought we were from this first episode, we were going to focus on this character, and then we realized we didn't want to go to that place, so instead we're focusing on this character, and as a result, we're ending up in, a, in an entirely different area. And it seems, it seems a very, that seems a very television, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a, a pitfall, but it's the, it's the way television seems to work more often than not, you know? Mm-hmm. And when it works, of course, you end up with something that's sort of dynamic and organic and plays to its strengths. And, and also surprising. Yeah, and Because surprising. you're like, I thought you were going to zig. You mm -hmm. zagged. Right. That's great. Yeah. 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 And I think the other thing I thought was kind of frustrating was there was a lot. They They started with this idea of like, okay, this is just a horror movie where we can just throw in as much crazy crap as we're interested in and that can sort of get a get, spooks um you know the appropriate amount of spookiness uh and then as time went on like toward the end of the season i really felt like someone sat down at the dry erase board and was like okay guys we're not going to get pilloried by our viewership for just leaving everything dangling so here's our checklist how do we tie up everything that we've set up so far and what they came up with was this you know again for tv a very elegant solution that was sort of cobbled together on the fly but also kind of just to me sort of drained a lot of the vitality out of it 
So, um, I think. It, but you know, check it out. I'd be really curious to see what you. I, I. It's one of those things that I've been like, well, when I can carve enough time from my schedule, I'd really like to watch it because I remember everyone talking about it mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. when it was on. Right. Um, and specifically, I remember everyone being, "What the fuck was that?" when it finished. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what got my attention. More more than the, this is a great joke, there was a lot of that when it launched. Mm-hmm. But it's more the, what? Yeah. When it ended, I was like, okay, I, like, my weird masochism is, is kicking in. I, <laughs> I think I want to see what the what is. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And then I saw it on Netflix and I was like, I should really watch that. And, you know. Yeah. That's, then the West Wing went on West Wing, with Netflix and I was like, why don't I just watch three hours of the West Wing instead? <laughs> Boop. <laughs> Oh, no joke. I've just been watching the West Wing. Like, free time, West Wing. I could imagine. I could imagine. I love that show. Also, Kate has been watching uh, Tommy and Tuppence, which has completely sucked me in. Tommy and Tuppence? Tommy and Tuppence is this really short-lived British series from the 80s, mm-hmm. which adapts Agatha Christie's lesser-known characters of Tommy and Tuppence. Hmm. Uh, she did, like... 10 books I think and, and some short stories or maybe maybe less than 10 books right um, but it, it's it's a 12 part series anyway hmm. uh, and what I love about it is I don't know whether this is the original Agatha Christie or whether this is the people who adapted it it has turned into what if we remade The Thin Man <laughs> made it campier but made it in the early 1980s so everyone looks like a new romantic wow and that's just amazing television, Jeff. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, wow, that certainly stays, um, you know, plays, uh, honors the original intention of the show, of the of the books, I'm sure. Wow, that's amazing. It's cr- it's really great. That is so uh, it's, it's campy as hell, but it's really, really enjoyable. Hmm. And it just has, it has one of those wonderful high concepts, which is these are two moneyed people. Mm-hmm. who are bored and so they'd set up a detective agency that promises to solve everyone's mystery within 24 hours <laughs> that alone is a great high concept <laughs> to me it's only great if you know you take no wonder why they thought of the 80s because they're like well domino's pizza of course but with murder that that came up in the 80s <laughs> you know like, I mean, I just love the idea that it's like, if the time ever start, starts running out, like at hour 23, they just kill someone else and frame them for it and then collect the fee. Like, wouldn't you be a little suspect of somebody who, like, guarantees that any murder gets solved in 24 hours? Jeff, you just don't, you don't have a crazy, cozy murder story in your heart. I, I, I guess I don't. I guess I don't. It's, it's kind of a shame, because it's, uh... Because Lord knows they're appealing enough, sort of in the abstract, you know. Um, I, I, yeah, it just—it's—it's it's a ridiculously, it's one of those things that's like really fun, but it's such a specific taste. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's not like I'm like I'm recommending this to everyone. Right. I'm really not. <laughs> but it's one of those things that if you really like, for example, um, Beyond Belief or The Thin Man, mm-hmm. like really, really love them because it's essentially the same characters, mm-hmm. and would be like I would totally watch the show. Then yeah, you should. Definitely check out Tommy and Tuppence on Netflix. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. I will, uh, I will have to keep that in mind. Um, hmm. Should we... I'm always like, huh, now that we've been talking for 18 minutes or so, do you think we should talk about comics? Um, 
sure. I mean, you know, we it's I'm, I'm like, there's so many ways we can go with this. Because, of course, at one point you were talking about that. I'm like, oh, we have to talk about misfits at some point. But I think actually because someone asked us a question. What's that? I still haven't seen past like the beginning of the third season. Really? What happened? I just got completely derailed. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, <laughs> with that kind of, if you're that distractible, God help you when you keep watching and the show gets even more uneven, because... Well, that's just it. Like, I know that Misfits, I know that essentially the original cast leaves after season three. Right. And even this early on in season three that I am, I'm like maybe three episodes in, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, so this is the final season, right? <laughs> they've, they've run out of seam. Surely. Right. I can't even imagine what the show will be like when you write out all but one of the main characters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's... it's I'm a f- looking forward to the, the craziness. Well, you know... I, I yeah. love seeing things go off the rails. Well, in that case, it'll be really interesting uh, talking with you about it. Because one of the things that I, I have appreciated about Misfits is uh, this season, like, someone, someone did say, like, it is... I think I think it was my friend Mojo said it was like the most e- uneven show on television, and there's something to be said for that because most of season four is by and large disposable crap, except for the one or two pieces that are absolutely brilliant, you know. Um, and it is it's kind of weird how TV can be like that. Like I definitely found myself coming like sitting down each week. It's like okay, we're gonna watch an episode of Misfits, and just the diminishing returns of like, oh man, I used to like this show and then every once in a while you'll get some you'll get a moment from a performer that you really like you know or they'll they'll have like a really clever idea in a script that is just something that you don't see and you're like oh man that was great i guess i don't know it's it's amazing um to me how how much tv really gets a pass for me i suppose i guess maybe movies do too i mean i i really it's not like i try and be super judgy about my comics but i almost feel like i end up anyway i guess my standards are actually high whereas like i think what i find is for misfits like i am the comic fan in me is really irritated in season three. Oh god the uh, the comic fan no, in me couldn't make it past that first episode because I, I was turning to Edie and i was like they don't when do they explain this storm? Do they ever explain the storm? She's like, no. I'm like, what? What kind of bullshit is that? That's that's not even an origin. No, you know? I, I'm actually fine with them never explaining the storm. <laughs> what I have the problem with is, uh, and again, spoilers for everyone who has not seen up to season three in the show. But at the same time, that is quite a few years old now. So I think we can discuss it, right? Well, uh, I yes, I we, we've got the spoilers on. We've got the show notes, so people okay. people be um, warned. By season three, you have. Simon revealed as like the superhero character. Right. Which never happened. <laughs> yes. Because it happens in the timeline they delete. Mm-hmm. So it never actually happened. <laughs> and yet, like, it's in all the previous leaks, and all the characters are acting as if it happened. Right. Right, right, right. That every single time irritates me. I'm like, okay, I know I just have to swallow this. Yeah. <laughs> but it never actually happened. Yeah, I don't know. There's so much that's tough about that show. Because honestly, as it goes on, I mean, Simon's uh, relationship with what's her name uh, is what's that? Is it Aisha? Am I? Yeah, I maybe. I think. Uh, you know, I mean, the characters have been gone for like you know a, a while now. By the time that I ended up seeing, you know, by by the point by the end of season 
four or whatever I'm at. And yeah. um yeah, the the whole there's just so much where it's like, okay, like their relationship seems to there's so much like that relationship happens because it has to happen or yeah, I guess yeah. it I guess yeah, right. it's a shame it really does turn into like it's a really clever twist. Mhm. That they then seem to be like, oh, I guess we have to follow this through. Well, I, I feel like season two was like great mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and really good plot dynamics. It had really tight writing. And then after that, they've just been like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, and also, I, I honestly felt like season three felt like a lot of some pretty heavy pandering for me. Because I think um, the first season even most of the second season is kind of like this is kind of like yeah this you know this is a show that's going to be taking the piss you know but we're going to basically we're going to we're going to have it all essentially we're going to we're going to take the piss and we're also going to be able to do spin of you know a very science fiction superhero-y type story where whereas you know the first part of it is just so making fun of that and unfortunately, I feel like the extension of it really becomes um, the idea that Simon is, uh, as the fanboy character, becomes the the character becomes just a, a pure sort of hero worship character. Like there's yeah, some... which I I really got problems with. Mm-hmm. I, I it's very strange. I mean, I can't imagine what it'd be like if you jump from this first season to the third season. Oh yeah, because in the first season, like he's clearly a mess. Yeah. Yeah, he's clearly like, and, and he's mess. dangerous, and mm-hmm. he's you know he's he's not not safe, and I guess is a way of looking at it. If mm-hmm. you consider what he does to to Nikki, mm-hmm. and then even by like midway through the second season, mm-hmm. it's very much like so he's, he's a hero, really, mm-hmm. you know, and he he's got this all sorted out because he's a fanboy, and so he understands, right? And it's kind of like no, what? Yeah, yeah, did exactly. Did you just see what he did? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's very strange if you did you watch them all like close up against each other like I did. Uh, we I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there were there were jumps. We I might have seen the first two seasons all at a go, but it was such a while ago that I'm not sure how much of it really stuck. Yeah, but that that's that's the thing. The first two seasons, like there is such a turnaround in Simon mm-hmm. that it's completely unbelievable. Yeah, and it's all in the second season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and that is the, the yes. It it is it is super. It's even uh, how do I put it? It's even one thing when it turns out that that yeah, the superhero heroic protector turns out to be him, and there's a kind of that whole like days of future past thing of like everything that he's gone through has actually turned him into you know a cool awesome person. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, that, that's what I mean. Like, I like season two, and I even like season two in that. Like, if season three hadn't essentially just gone with, okay, now Simon is cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's it. It really felt like Simon is cool, and Simon is cool in a way that we need nerds on the internet to keep our show alive cool. That just made me... Um, that I was really frustrated with. I think, in some ways, what the show has gone on to do... I don't know. I, I, I want to say... I don't want to say it has more potential because in many ways I don't I, – I honestly feel like it's just playing for time in an attempt to keep itself on the air as long as possible. But I'm really me. curious about that because part of me is like I think with a whole new cast, it could be a new beginning. Mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, with all new casts, it also doesn't have a reason to exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, the show's done. Because the show isn't, here is a world with lots of superpowers. It is, here is these particular characters. Right. Right. Um, it's weird. Do you know <coughs> uh, being human? I'm sorry, what's that, being human? No. Uh, because the same thing's happened in the British being human. Essentially, mm-hmm. they've written the entire original cast out. Right. And the setup of being human is, it's, I mean, it's a joke. It's a ghost, a werewolf, and a vampire share a house. Right. And again, it's all about the characters. Yeah. So the time you cycled your entire cast out mm-hmm. with new characters, it really has reached a, what is the point of this existing? Well, I, you know, I can almost see, at least with Misfits, the idea of because they are... Man, I'm going to have to go get some water or a lozenge or something. Um, Because it's supposed to be like uh, fuck-ups on community service get superpowers. I've got some little scratchy thing at the back of my throat. I'm hoping this lozenge will take care of it. I don't think I've talked this much in the last couple of days. So This is why the podcast may end up being a very short one. Mm. Or if you need to bail because it's killing your throat, then just to say. I will let you know. I'll let okay. you know. Alternately, we just make sure you do all the talking. <laughs> that, that's good. Do you want to know the comics I've read <coughs> in the last week, Jeff? Mm-hmm. I've read uh, Genius Isolated, The Life and Art of Alex Toth, mm. uh, the Mr. Miracle one-shot from oh my God. with By Evanier and Rude? Yes. Wow. Uh, Mystery in Space, the Grant Morrison, Elliot Magan one-shot. Good, good uh, Micronauts Annual 1. <laughs> Batman and the Outsiders Annual 1 and Superman and the Guardians of the Universe Issue 60. Oh, and Machine Man Issue 10. Oh my god, Graham. I don't... It's it's like you... Do you just go down to like somebody's like Salvation Army and just sort of root around in their... It was Excalibur 50% sale this week. Uh, I see. That's some lovely stuff though there. Right there, I oh, have to say. Oh, it really is. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, I'm completely in a Micronauts mood these days. Are you? That's great. That's a, that that would be a, a lovely one to actually have redone at some point. Yeah, it's so full of potential. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are you reading all of the Micronauts then? And this was just the most recent? Uh, the, I have got the, I got the <coughs> special edition, which mm-hmm. was like the reprint in the first 12 issues. Oh, wow. Uh, that That's like, it's like a five-issue reprint of 12 issues. They're, so literally they stop like issue three four pages in and then just pick it up the next issue. Wow. And then it's up like issue seven or something halfway through the issue and pick it up the next issue. It's really weirdly edited. Huh. Um, but it's great stuff. It's just really good. And so I saw the the annual and the reason about the annual is it's Steve Ditko art. Mm, wow. It's Steve Ditko from 1978, 1979 mm. doing pencils and inks. Wow. For the entire thing. And it's like the prehistory of the Micronauts. Hmm. So therefore, it's awesome. That sounds great. Anyway, I'll keep that until we're properly recording again, because you still have to make your point about the Misfits. Oh, uh, right. Um, yeah, I, I feel that, that you have the possibility of, um, if if you do it right, the idea is that you can build characters that people are really interested in and then essentially tell different kinds of stories. But I think that the problem the problem with Misfits is... <clears throat> they haven't done a very good job of introducing new characters that people care about for the most part, and then they don't go anywhere new with them either. So it kind of feels like the worst of both worlds. Like just at the end of season four, I'm like, okay, we're ready to get things going. They've got some amazing 
people. I mean, I really, over the last few months, Edie and I really have just think that Joseph Gilgan, uh, who does uh, Rudy, is phenomenal. Um, a lot of people find him like really, really, really irritating, but there's a he's got an episode in season four where you're just like, "Fuck, this actor is amazing." So I, I really like him from the mm-hmm. episodes I've seen. Yeah, he comes in. He has such a difficult job at the start of season three, mm-hmm. and I think he sells it really well. I think he comes across as charming isn't the right word because right. he's quite clearly not charming, and that's his character. Mm-hmm. But there's something very charming about his performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You find yourself not sympathizing, but being very drawn towards him, mm-hmm. and kind of being like, "He's all right, really. Like he's a dick, but he's he's kind of a nice dick." Right. Right, which is he has such a a hard job, and he does it so well. He really does. He really does. And and to be fair, I think that um, the the writers go out of their way to give him a ton of material because they're really aware of if they don't establish him as the new uh, oh, what's his name. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying it, Nathan. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, if they don't establish him as the new Nathan, uh, the, you know, the show's kind of dead. And the thing that I think is interesting is they, I think by the end, they accomplish it, but then they don't really have anything else going on for anyone else. Mm. It seems like each each season, you maybe get like one episode in seasons three and four where you're like, oh, hey, everybody got to do something. But more often than not, um, most people are stuck in terrible, terrible B-plots that... <clears throat> somehow they try and make the cornerstone of the series. And you're like, really? Like the main storyline going through season four is such absurd bullshit. Like it's, it's amazing. Like the season four of misfits is amazing in that way that I'm sure that teachers who teach at school who watch, you know, um, talented students pass off absolute bullshit like as a serious like <laughs> paper are, are like it is that's that amazing frustrating. It, is, it is really just oh god i know you're so much better than this mm, i think so for a lot of the time but maybe the great thing is is by me continually uh, lowering the bar for it by the time you get to it you'll be like that was great i don't know i'm i the way i feel about season three so far is i kind of feel like that might almost happen because i've been really disappointed in season three mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i was glued to it in season four i mm-hmm. was really like okay i've only got 10 minutes but I'm going to watch 10 minutes of this because I'm loving it. Mm, and mm-hmm. season three, I've just not had the same thing at all. <clears throat> season three, I've just been like, eh, it's all right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you get you get to that, and then you get the stage below it, which is really like, mm. <coughs> <coughs> well, I think we'll be doing a little bit of the coughing on my end, so I apologize. Yeah, I, I should say, listeners, Jeff is actually sick, mm-hmm. uh, and he and I went back and forth before we started recording as to whether we would record. Mm-hmm. And so this might be a really short episode in case Jeff's throat really gives out. Yeah, or at worst, you'll have to put up with a lot of my coughing, which will probably sound absurdly loud on this new microphone. I'll do my best. It it really doesn't, by the way. Your coughing sounds as fine as coughing can sound, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, But yeah, you could also edit all the coughing out. Mm, mm -hmm. I (laughs) certainly can. You're editing horrendous. Yes, exactly. That's why I'm like, well, thanks, Graham. I appreciate you coming up with that solution. You're like, you know what you can do for everyone's own considerate, you know. To to really be sensible and thoughtful to everyone else, Jeff. Just just edit out all your coughing. Yeah, just just not you. Yeah. 
<clears throat> yeah, see, that's the thing. So that's why I'm like cursing myself every time I cough. I'm like, oh, motherfucker, I got to fucking find that and edit it. So, well, it's been 35 minutes. Should we jump, come back on, and people will be like, I can't believe what they talked about for 30 minutes. And then we can actually... Talks about misfits, which is a superhero thing. Come on. It's true. It is true. Almost um, comic, people. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting so close that by hour two of this, I think we will actually be talking about... When, when we come back, let's talk about the really old comics I bought at the store. Yes, let's. Okay. Um, that'd be fantastic. All right. Talk to you in a sec. Bye. Bye. See, that's all hey, I need. Hey, to Jeff. Say. Yes. You know, I, you know, I haven't told you. I was on Canadian television again last week. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing that made my week crazy because I kind of lost an afternoon to it. Really? Yeah, I was on for maybe two minutes, if not less. I was on on Skype, and apparently the Skype connection went down midway through, so I had to answer the same question twice. Oh man! L- live television, Jeff. Oh. Um, and so the three questions they're going to ask me, I think, were two. <laughs> well, congratulations. That was, that was definitely worth my time. Well, it was because I think the number of uh, listeners to this podcast, commenters over the Cyber Critic website, were um, very excited that you were on Canadian television. <clears throat> that's, that's twice now, people. And also, I may be on Canadian radio uh, when the radio thing that completely fell through, they have since come back. And they're like, wow. please come on. So mm-hmm. that may happen. See, Canada knows a good thing. Canada, for some reason, has fallen victim to my lure. I have absolutely no idea why this is happening. It's hilarious to me, but I have no idea why it's happening. Well, we let's just savor it, everyone. Let's just savor it. So, uh, you know the crazy thing—the Canadian radio one. Mm-hmm. They want a nine-minute live interview. Nine-minute live interview? Wow! Uh, talking about do, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Oh my god, I should totally write up a script for you, because it would be great. Because <laughs> believe me, the trick is, for any question that they ask you, you just talk about what your 10th level ranger did. And <laughs> anyone who actually is familiar enough will appreciate your, your Andy Kaufman-ishness of that. So, See, I don't even get that. I, I just find it funny because you said 10th level, oh, never mind. <laughs> okay, well, so... um. Comics. 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 Uh, So, as everyone knows, last Mm. week was not a a new comic release week, unless you counted Spider-Man dying. Oh, yeah. Which I don't. Um, We should talk about that at some point, because I read it. Hey. What do you think? Because I also read it. Uh, You know, um... Because you were like, hey, issue 699 is good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's six ninety nine. What did you think of seven hundred? Uh, I thought that <clears throat> I thought that issue seven hundred was okay. I thought it was fast paced. I think there were times where the art seemed a little off and a bit rushed. Um, I was very very grateful that again this was something 
that uh, a listener, I should really hunt down the listener so that I can thank them on air, but uh, it would make too much stomping, tapping noises. Um, I'm really glad that I didn't have to pay money because the product itself felt a little bloated with all the backup all, pieces. All, and Yeah, amazing amount of backups. Yeah. It, was, it was stunning for, mm-hmm. for $8. I thought that was... It's one of those things where you're like, well, sure, because I don't know if you saw online, but they're saying it's twice the price for five times the content. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, of the five times the content, th- three-fifths of that is filler. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, so so just gauged on the, the story itself being uh, the third part of three, um, I think... I thought the art the art was a little rushed, which sort of screwed up some of the um, some of the stronger emotional punch points. But overall, I thought it was well done without me really liking it. Like I thought I thought that Dan Slott did such a much better job of selling me on the idea that Peter Parker could really convey what being Spider-Man is like enough to, you know, Otto Octavius that Otto is going to walk away going like, I am going to be Spider-Man and I am going to make this work. Part of me is like, it's a very, you know, it's a very, it's a very sensible idea for a reboot. Um, if, if you were actually going to go for a full reboot that way, like if that had been, if that had been the way that the spider clone story had gone down all those many years ago, instead of dragging things out and frustrating us and really, you know, kind of crapping on parts of Peter Parker, um, then I think, I think it would have worked. I think it would have worked so much better back then in a way that it was like, Oh, this is great. I really believe this. I kind of just walked away from it going like, yeah, I'm sold on it in a way that, I, I don't know that that because because of course the irony is it's not like I'll be following the book. I guess if people send me free, you know, send me their digital copy, I will read it, and if they don't, I won't. But so it's kind of a zero sum game for me at best. But overall, I'd have to say I thought that it was it was well put together. Um, It was mostly satisfying. I still kind of had a bad taste in my mouth just because I just. I don't know. There's, you know, it's weird. I guess the whole like supervillain in the superhero body thing seems just like a real, has always seemed slightly skeevy to me. Maybe it's all the, all the Chris Claremontisms after the year leaving me with, you know, residual problems to work out with my therapist. But <laughs> I just, uh, I'm, I'm always a little skeeved out by that idea. And then on top of it, seeing the whole, clusterfuck that was Johnston talking to Wacker and Wacker talking about it on Twitter I was just part of me kind of I had this weird like oh right that's why I don't want to support this sort of thing because <laughs> because that, he, that's really interesting because I I had very much a different reaction oh really okay I thought it was professionally done mm-hmm. but I thought Ooh. that it's as a reboot is terrible mm. And I think that as a, I just don't find it an even vaguely convincing long-term idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the emotional beats were, I don't know, were so blatant that they didn't work as emotional bits. Mm-hmm. 
it was very much like, okay, here's the part in the plot where he's got to make Otto Octavius realize that with great power comes great responsibility. Done. Tick. Right. Here's the part where, and it it felt entirely rote. Mm. I I didn't have any emotional connection to it at all. It it unfolded exactly as I expected it to, mm-hmm. and throughout the entire thing seemed like a really bad idea. Mm. Interesting. And also, I thought it was hilarious that the the undo button was mm-hmm. was flagged within the story. Mm. Uh, like that that seems so strange to me. Which was what the um, there's the little golden octopus robot that is about to get spider is about to get Otto Octavius and Peter Parker's body, and then he goes, "I have a shield," mm-hmm. and then he goes, "But he can transmit wirelessly," mm-hmm. and I was like. What? <laughs> really? So you've literally just said, you know, give it X amount of time, and then whoever wants to undo this can say, well, it just took a bit longer because it was happening wirelessly. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I hated that. I also, like, it didn't make... The more I thought about the plot, the more it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Because why did Peter have to give Otto Octavius his memories when Peter got Otto Octavius' memories the issue before involuntarily? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how did that work? Right. How how also did Otto Octavius have some of the memories of Peter Parker? Because mm-hmm. he de- he's definitely had them for the last couple of issues. Right. But not all of the memories. Right. Why does getting these new memories suddenly change them? Mm-hmm. Like, it it really falls apart as soon as you start to think about it. Yeah. It, I, it, ha- it, ha- it ends that way because it needs to end on the, I'm going to be Spider-Man. Right. Beat. Which yeah. is ludicrous. Well, I, I, I don't necessarily... I, it's weird. I don't necessarily think of that as ludicrous, although it's mistaken for me. I just think that it's kind of this weird, like... Part of the problem is is that despite all the stuff that they've done, like, Otto Octavius doesn't really have much of a personality, you know? I mean, also the Dan Slott stuff was handled really... Like, when he's Peter Parker and he's walking around talking like Doctor Doom and no one seems to notice, I mean, it's just... It's like it's the or Spider Man knocks off the jaw of the scorpion. Oh yeah. Jones and is like, "Hey, I'm on board now." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, at, at what point? It's one of those things where every single time I read an interview with it mm-hmm. about, it makes more sense than actually reading the comic. Mm-hmm. I read it's slot talking to Laura Hudson at Wired, mm-hmm. and he's like, "So the setup of Superior Spider Man is it's flipping the script." Where J. Jonah Jameson calls this guy a hero, but the readers know he's actually a menace. Mm. I was like, that's a great high concept. I wish I'd actually understood that from reading the comic. Well, yeah, see, because it's... Because I think that Slot does... For one thing, it's a variety of ways that he sells it. Maybe, you know, to stave off the old death threats. But you don't really get that idea when you finish the issue. You know, because he is like, I'm going to try and be Spider-Man. You know? And what that leads to him doing... <clears throat> might be another thing in and of itself. But yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's kind of this idea of like, okay, how can this guy get uh, absolution, I guess, for basically stealing another person's life? Um, but he's obviously not going to because this is just nightfall all over again. Right, right. No, it, I know, right. It's exactly. like, you want, this, you want a cooler Batman? Well, a cooler Batman's going to be a dick and we're going to show you how... <laughs> well, it's so funny because I did think, don't you? I always felt like this was an almost comedic level of um, fanboy poking at a subliminal level, you know? 
the Mary Jane scene in particular is so insanely fanboy poking mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. seeing the defense against the this is really skeevy, this is edging on rape mm -hmm. was infuriating. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it's just the other thing is I at the same time I A felt really sorry for Steve Wacker and Dan Slot. Um I don't know why, but I really was like, this is kind of getting crazy. Um yeah, also, absolutely. I feel like Dan Slott is trying to do something. I just don't know what he's trying to do. Does that make sense? I feel like there's more going on than just a mind swap plot, but I don't know what it is. What well, do you think? Do you think it might be the the extra the metaphorical fanboy poking going on with the mind swap? You know, um, uh, uh, what do you mean? Well, so you have Spider Man. Um, and he's he's take basically you put a middle aged man in Spider Man's brain and body, you know what I mean? That's essentially, um, how do I put it? Like Otto Otto Octavius, despite the fact that he's Doctor Octopus, is basically comic book fanboys for for the essential way that I'm I'm spinning this symbolically. What they're trying to say is, you know what? You're a middle aged man. You're not. You don't get to be Spider Man. You know. It's like you always say that you could be Spider-Man. You could be the better Spider-Man. But you just think that because you are a 40-year-old fat man who kind of screwed up, you know? If that's your metaphor, then that's a horribly lumping way of doing it. Yeah. Well, right. Well, it could be wrong. I mean. But because, like, if that, if that is what you're going for, mm -hmm. then you're sort of stuck in deck by being like, you're not going to be Spider-Man. Look at this guy who, you know, is kind of borderline rapist, has killed people and has stolen someone else's body. Look, he's fucked up, so therefore you're also going to fuck up. Like right. that's <clears throat> well, and it, and it may not actually come out to be that way. I I would be surprised. I, I of hope that it is not, just because that is. I feel that expresses an exceptional amount of disdain for fanboys. Yes, right, and honestly, we live in a world where Superboy Prime existed. So, well, yeah, but I and and honestly, if Dan Slott looked more like Jeff Johns at that point. <clears throat> I might be inclined to believe it. You know what I mean? But let's face it, Dan Slott looked like a hobbit. So it, it a middle-aged hobbit. So I think that it's, you know, I would like to think that he's got a little more sympathy for, for, for his audience. Um, but I, then I think that he does. Do you not think that Dan, Bo Dan Slott is the Spider-Man fanboy? I think it's tough for me because I think that Dan Slott is the Spider-Man fanboy, but I also think that the, Steve Wacker's shenanigans, you know, um, m make me feel uh, a little uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel comfortable buying books from that guy, much less working with that guy, I suppose. And so I, part of me thinks that on the one hand, he probably treats his talent really well, but I just don't, there's something that I can't get in my head. As sorry as I feel for um, Wacker and Dan Slott, and I certainly don't want you know, like, whatever the fuck, like, I think when Dan Slott was like, oh, ha, 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 people are going to be threatening to kill me, he was not ex actually expecting... He was not actually thinking that someone was going to threaten to kill him. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm with him in that regard. Like, I, it sh he should never have to be in whatever the hell he's doing. He should not be put in that kind of position at all. The, um, the death threat thing was unthinkable to me. For a couple of reasons. One, holy fucking shit, it's a comic book. Mm -hmm. But two, 
if you're that invested in Spider-Man and you're that invested in comic books, you know this isn't permanent. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's it's two two levels of I can't believe you get that upset about it. Well, One, it's an insane amount of upset to be over a comic book at all. Mm-hmm. But two, everyone knows this is not going to be the case in two years. I don't know, man. There's there's always somebody who doesn't necessarily believe that. I mean, you know, they as much as we would like to say otherwise, there's got to be some 19-year-olds reading Amazing Spider-Man. You know what I mean? That, who've been reading it for like four or five years and maybe consider themselves like totally in the know because they've bought all of Ultimate Spider-Man or something like that. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not sure. <laughs> now that I'm in the unique position of defending the death threader, I mean, I, find my, I just find the whole the whole concept kind of... I, I haven't been tracking it enough to know who's actually coming forward and being like, yeah, I'm going to kill this guy. And who's like just being an internet troll, you know? Well, that's just it. Like, the other thing is <coughs> the death threat was private. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't a public death threat. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have, like, we have no idea who said what. Right, right, exactly. Which then puts you in this horrible position of actually having to say, like, you know, I, but I, and again, there's just that thing of like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I once again do not see Dan Slott as the sort of guy who's like, yeah, I'll fake a death threat against myself or two in order to, you know, progress my career. You know, it's like, I can't even imagine him doing that. But are people. I'm, I'm so happy you said that because honestly, that was one of my earliest thoughts about it as well. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. I was like, that's insane. Is that so insane that it couldn't have happened? No, there's no way someone would lie about that. Right, exactly. So it it really does put you in that that really weird position where you're like, ah, I feel horrible about myself for even contemplating it. So, you know, yeah, take it take it at face value and assume that it's all that's going on. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Amazing Spider-Man seven hundred. It was you know it was not really worth the money. It was not really worth hype. I, uh, but I have to say. I enjoyed that three-part storyline. I suppose I'm mildly intrigued as to where it would go. And there's something that sort of makes it sad for me that just the idea of, like, so much of this stuff is undoable, which I I don't even necessarily mind, but I think there is just a stage of... I think, you know, for myself 10 or 20 years ago, I did believe that that comics could change a little bit, you know? (coughs) That it... that, that not some maybe not not quite something at, quite at this level but i remember when but, the spider what, what do you mean by comics could change you mean the characters could change yeah i'm sorry the characters could change that you would be like hey you know bruce wayne's going to retire and dick grayson really is going to be batman you know well, like, that, but that's the crazy thing i mean if you look at the 90s for all that we make fun of the 90s mm-hmm. you got wally west you got kyle rayner you got the the big names being right. replaced and being replaced quote unquote permanently mhm mhm yeah, exactly. You know, and that happened that was that was the status quo up until what? 2004? 2005? I guess. I mean, uh, for for DC, yes, for Marvel it was just kind of all over the map. But yeah, Marvel never really stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's Eric Masterson. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> yeah, so I you know, I so there was a stage I think in the 90s, yeah, where I was like I believe that stuff could change and at that point it became a, I don't know, it just still felt viable for me in a way. <clears throat> you know, that the, the tightrope act between here's a character that 
people care about how are you going to manage to run the gamut of having them seem to grow and change <coughs> without actually alienating people or losing what made that character important. And so to me, I guess maybe that's part of why I always had a certain degree of, I don't know, resignation towards the idea of course correction. You know, it was like, okay, you take these characters a certain way and then you got to figure out some way to reboot everything, you know? Part of me is like, well, you know, I mean, it is that idea of like, yeah, you know what? Superman and Lois Lane got married as much as a, of a wrong idea as I thought that that was by and large. Uh, I still appreciated the fact that it was a change that had happened. And I was more willing to respect it than it sort of seems like the publishers themselves are, I suppose. So, yeah, there's this weird thing. I don't I don't think that it's, you know, I don't it I'm not like, wow, I sure hope that Dr. Octopus remains Spider-Man forever cuz that would frankly kind of suck. But um there is a way in which I'm kind of sorry that I have this very cynical level of like, yeah, I wonder do we have an over under on this thing like 12 months, 6 months, you know, 18 months. Yeah, that that's you know. the thing. It's I feel that superhero death especially at marvel mm -hmm. is so devalued mm -hmm. that i mean especially in what the last three years oh yeah very much that, so that you almost get the idea of like if this spider-man thing lasts more than a year then that's a long term mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly which is crazy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's so so weird to think that that's the idea of long term now yeah i don't know we'll see um just when you were talking about comics changing, mm -hmm. I, it brought to mind. What did you think of the DC announcement just before Christmas about Bob Harris getting promoted, but so did Hank Canals? Oh, geez. You know, I think I missed that. Short version. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Harris got the, I think he's senior vice president DC Comics now. Mm -hmm. uh, and still editor-in-chief. Mm -hmm. But the interesting one is Hank Canals was senior vice president of Vertigo. Right. Right, and Canals is, he's got kind of a weird ropey past that doesn't exactly scream vertigo, as I think, right? No, but he does have the past of Wildstorm. Mm. By which I mean Wildstorm in the, like, after it was bought by TC, mm -hmm. when it did some really interesting stuff. Also, he's the guy in charge of digital these days. Interesting. Uh, so, reading between the lines, mm -hmm. I think that... Well, it, it very obviously takes Vertigo out of Bob Harris's hands. Mm -hmm. And very publicly does that. Mm -hmm. Which I think is good for Vertigo. Mm -hmm. um, but it also makes me really curious about what's going to happen to Vertigo. Right. It's like, wait, is Vertigo being handed over to the West Coast because Vertigo is going to become a West Coast operation? Is it being handed over to the West Coast so that it can be more closely integrated into media? Is it being handed over to the West Coast so that it becomes a digital thing? Right. Or is it just being handed over because it, it was a... Because it's being taken away from Bob Harris. Bob Harris, yeah, exactly. Because I, I think, you know, DC had a number of, you know, <clears throat> flinchy moments uh, in, in that last week of the year, it seemed like, uh, between... Dan Gilsimone? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm feeling really weirdly... Part of me is optimistic about that, and mm -hmm. part of me is just they have no fucking idea what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the optimistic part is I think that the Gail Simone thing actually harkens back to the... Uh, I don't know if you remember sort of midway through 
the year, maybe early part of the year, mm-hmm. um, there was the why are there no female characters DC, and they basically released a statement going, we're listening. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to get this right, but we're listening, I promise. And I feel this is the same thing. I feel this shows that DC is actually at least aware of what is being said mm-hmm. and is sensitive to it, mm-hmm. which is a positive in my mind. Right. The next is they quite clearly have no long-term plan, nor are they willing to stick to their choices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the I am very happy that they have done a few like, oh, okay, that was a mistake, Let, let's course correct. Very happy about that. But yeah, the whole idea of like, so what are you guys doing? It's like, I, I don't know, whatever, you know, uh, no, stuff. What you want us to do yeah. is, is, is the scary thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it is It is a little, uh, it is a little uh, distressing. Um, I'm very amused when uh, the Shelley Bond announcement happened. Mm-hmm. And I saw people online being like, see, everyone who thought the Vertical was going to get cancelled, here's proof the DC's thinking long term. And I was like, <laughs> really? Promoting from within the person that everyone thought was going to get the job is proof the DC's thinking long term about this? <laughs> well, yeah. It's like the most crazily, you know, non-thinking booster thing. Like, yeah. as if the, the binary was... Name someone to put you in charge in March, or shutter it altogether immediately. Right, right, yeah. No, it it's. I mean, part of me is like, again, I thought that that was a potentially good sign. It just also struck me as, like you said, at worst a foregone gone conclusion, and at best a sign that that uh, that DC really reconsidered how how much how much of the pooch to screw, I guess. So. I think there's definitely, I think probably starting with the cancellation of Hellblazer mm-hmm. and through the reaction to Karen Berger quitting, I yeah. think at some point DC were like, wait, Vertigo is actually important. Yeah. It. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> we it. We shut our Vertigo entirely. We're going to get so much shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think I don't, um, I could be wrong, but I really felt that that was once all the Karen Berger stuff came out and people were like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Let's, we've. <laughs> Got to flip this. Really important to us. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it. Right, exactly. Oh, I get it. Yes, yeah, indeed. I have to admit, when uh, Hank Canals was named as SVP Vertigo, mm-hmm. what first thought was, I wonder if he'd been in there whether Hellblazer would have been cancelled. Hmm. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine he's been around for a long time. I can't imagine that he's not a pretty adept political player. Uh, at that point in things. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think that, honestly, I I don't know. It's tough. Like, I really see the point behind... Um, I, I wish they could have afforded to, you know, that, that Hellblazer sold well enough that they could have re- done a Constantine DCU reboot and kept the kept the original title. It's how Hellblazer was selling... <coughs> numbers yeah like you can't really fault them on a business level yeah we'll see and that's it there's part of me where it's just like unfortunately i'm not even crazy about reboots and i could see how you could get three to four times the buyer you know traffic in for a reboot of a title within the dcu um you know it just where you go with it what you do with it that's the thing that i think is problematic i mean to me it seems as much I don't know. There's things that DC just has to get their act around. Maybe the fact that they are being flinchy means hopefully that means that we will not 
continue to get wave after wave of titles propping the numbers of titles up at 52. You know what I mean? Like that would be. Well, a... I I think that's going to last at least through this year. Yeah, that's. I'm I'm worried that it will go on for a while because it's. I don't think the marketplace needs it. I think it's. I think it's. It's bad for the marketplace. It's bad for DC. Um, it's, it, that's something that they need to. They need to correct. Although it's tough because you know. Um, in the long, in the short term, it sort of looks like atrophy, you know. And but really, what it is is it allows it allows the strengthening of the line. I think. Although, hey, it doesn't. You know, did you see uh, the numbers that Brian posted over at Savage Critic for his end of year stuff? Yes, Saga is doing quite well. Saga <laughs> is doing very well. Holy cow! Um, yeah, I, I was I was really happily surprised at how well Saga is doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listeners, if you don't go to savagecritic.com often, you should actually go and check out uh, the Comics Experience 2012 bestsellers for coffee, comics and graphic novels. Yeah, it's like two or three different entries, and um, and and Hibbs breaks sort of breaks down how stuff is selling uh, quantitatively, uh, you know, by number of units and also by number of dollars without giving exact numbers, so you get an idea of where things are. And uh, really eye-opening, really kind of, um, you know, because if nothing else, it would be great if that's the sort of thing you see in the marketplace overall. But it it's everything you kind of want to see in, in a marketplace where more money floods into the market as a result of the new 52 and I guess A versus X is that, you know, you have more money to spread around and then you hand sell stuff like that is good like saga or profit did really well on those um sales list so wow that was so loud i was gonna <laughs> say what just happened the, that was did actually plane just fly past your head it did back? it did yeah exactly with guns a blazing no that was just a motorcycle going up the hill god help me when, when i try and mix this the sound on this it'll be Good times, my friend. Good times. Um, yeah. Um, so we should talk about your old comics that you've actually read, and then I can talk about comics I think I've actually read. Well, Jeff, we should, but we're at the half hour mark. So it's time to take another station break. Indeed. I'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> Jeff Lester. I'm talking to Jeff Lester. Jeff Lester of the Weird Pod Podcast, which has been happening for quite some years now. Jeff? 
Graham, very nice to... God damn, this thing sounds so loud. <laughs> Jesus, what? You it's, ruined our nice NPR. I moment. know. It was a beautiful NPR take. And every time every time we stop Skyping and I call you right back, it comes back slightly louder. It was um, really funny because I was like, Jeff, I said, Graham! <laughs> Thank you, Graham. It's glad to be here. Ah, I radio professional. Many years. You may remember me from Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Not very oh, good. Canada. <laughs> blessed, blessed Canada. So we have a choice, sir. We talk about yes. the comics you've read and I've read. We answer questions from the internet that uh, kind individuals were so nice to leave for us about what? A, a month, month ago. ago? Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe work in our various comic reading in the course I'm of I'm saying let's start with the comics. Let's get them out of the way very quickly. Okay. And then let's go into questions. Okay, great. Okay, so what I was going to say before we start to talk about Spider-Man, because we got completely interrupted, last week was my local comic store's 50% off sale. Right. Uh, and that normally means I go with a very specific idea of like, I want these back issues. And this year, I didn't. Mm. This year, just like, I'm going to see what's there. And I just, I made the rule for myself that I would only buy something if it was $3 or less. Meaning, it was one fifty or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that I got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six comics. Ooh. Those six comics are mm-hmm. in, let's do them in alphabetical order. Mm. Batman and the Outsiders Annual, number one, from 1984. Mm. Uh, DC Comics Presents, issue 60, Superman and the Guardians of the Universe. Wow. Machine Man, issue 10, which mm. is the, the first... Marv Wolf and Steve Ditko issue after Kirby's left. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Miracle. Oh, no, wait, I'm going to get out of alphabetical order. Micronauts Annual, number one from 1979. Wow. Uh, Mr. Miracle Special, number one from 1987. Mm-hmm. And the Mystery in Space DC Comics Presents One Shot from 2004, which has Elliot S. Magan and J.H. Williams doing a story, and Grant Morrison and Jerry Ordway doing a story. Mm. All of them, fucking great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually that's not true. The DC Comics presents is just lackluster, but weirdly fascinating in light of today's comics because there is so much story in it. Mm. It is just packed with story, and it just moves through in a way that today's comics just don't. Mm. There's so much less characterization. It really is like here's the plot. We're going. This is what's happening in the plot. This is what's happening in the plot. This is what's happening in the plot. We're done. Like, it, it could be generic character meets generic character. Right. Entirely. Um, but kind of fascinating because of that. Because it, it, it's an enjoyable comic. It's mm-hmm. a very generic 1980s DC comic. But now, it's completely enjoyable because of that. That wasn't during Gil Kane's run. It's not a Gil Kane issue, is it? The cover. Mm, okay cover but it is Carrie Burkett and Irv Novick hmm. uh, it was published in 1983 wow. uh, um, and it is yeah, it's, it's, it's completely fine it, mm-hmm. it's completely enjoyable um, Batman the Outsiders Annual is spectacular Yes. Uh, the reason I got it is actually because I really remember the series when I was a kid mm-hmm. I remember buying issue 1 uh, which must have been 83 maybe so- 83 um, but it's just one of these series that hasn't really... Not that it's not aged well. Mm-hmm. 
it's just not really people don't really talk about it i guess you I, you get you the occasional person that talks about it if the because there because i feel like there are jim aparo nuts on the internet um, yeah i but i don't think it ever gets talked about for <clears> theatrical <throat> as much as like jim aparo drew that and i liked it mm-hmm. that makes sense um it's a really weird weird issue it is 1984 and it is about a villain who has been inspired by George Orwell's novel 1984 <laughs> to, for a secret plan that is revealed in the end to be he's launched a satellite into space mm-hmm. and the satellite lets the government watch you through your television. <laughs> Before you get there, though, the outsiders have to fight a super patriotic slash right-wing group called the Force of July. Nice. Exactly. Uh, let's see, have they got the names of Force of July? Because they are stunning. What about Mayflower? Mayflower? She, an English girl who's come over to America where she has been valued. Oh my god. Well, so let's see, there is... This is Mike W. Barr, I'm assuming. Like, everything about this screams Mike, Mike Barr wrote this. There's Lady Liberty. There is... Oh, I haven't... If they're not going to characters' names anywhere, this is really annoying. <laughs> it's like Bill of Rights. There's got to be a guy whose name is like Bill of Rights, maybe. Sadly. Uh, I'm going to have to stop <clears> you <throat> and find the names of these characters because they are all appalling and yet I can't find them. In the <laughs> um, it's incredibly ham handed mm-hmm. and also oddly prescient. I feel this is a comic that could be released today. They're <laughs> Liberty, Major Victory, Mayflower, Silent Majority, and Sparkler. Silent Majority. That's great. Yeah, it's spectacular. I, I, so, 1980s comics, so the English girl Mayflower calls everyone mum. Mum? Yes, because that's what English people say. You see? <laughs> I, I figured it was going to be love, but apparently somebody was like, no, 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 no. She's young. Also, Mayflower's power is essentially she can make plants grow. Well, of course. So she's like, look, I've created giant redwoods. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's the classic DC annual in that the team splits to fight the team. Uh-huh. But also not classic because they all get their asses kicked, which I kind of appreciated. They all lose. Wow. It that... really bizarrely made me want to read more about that. Like other completists, he pencils the cover with Jim Aparo inks. Uh, who does? Frank Miller. Oh, Frank Miller. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't hear the name. Issue ten is terrible. And it's Marv Wolfman trying to get some of that old Kirby magic back and failing on almost every single imaginable level. I can imagine. Uh, but Ditko's art is, is nice. And there's a bit where Ditko does the, essentially retells the origin from mm. an issue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really nice. Uh, but yeah, the, the writing is, is appalling. Hmm. Uh, again, that was nostalgia by because the Wolfman Ditko Machine Man is the first Machine Man I read. Because mm-hmm. it realized in the back of Transformers in the UK. Ah. Uh, Not the Kirby stuff. Kirby stuff never saw print. They interesting. Started. Hmm. You know, I, I ha- I'm sorry, what? what's up? 
Graham, you talk now. <laughs> I was waiting for the lack of gears garb in, in the Kirby stuff because I, 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 that's who I appreciate. That, I'm like, that's who goes with Machine Man. Gears Garvin, the, the mechanic. Gears Garvin. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds like Marvel of a certain time and age, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's kind of great. It's kind of great. I have to say, I was on some website. I don't remember which one, and I could find it easily if I could tap the keyboard. But it's the guy who it must have posted. It was basically like a year's worth of Marvel UK comic covers from like 1977 or 1978 or something and they were just glorious you know because it was really like they were they were like oh yeah and then after this point you know it was like master kung fu and kill raven and planet of the apes all in one title and i'm like oh my god i would have died if that had been just the one comic book that i bought you know they had the reprint titles in the UK when I was a kid were spectacular. The, mm-hmm. In like the really early eighties, mm-hmm. had something called Future Tense, and Future Tense was the Micronauts and Star Trek and shit Star Lord maybe. Right. I right. These things aren't the big the big name titles. Well, that's one of the things I loved is is like so much of this was like really small potatoy guys and stuff that must have been either picked by fans or you know, I'm not quite sure how they decided that it was good. this was the character you wanted in there, but I'm like it was all my it really was like I'm this is all my favorite stuff. This is great. You know. Find the other British comics is the thing. <clears throat> yeah. Well, comics even at that point were getting very superhero centric. Mhm. Competing with, uh, you know, 2000 AD mm. against Commando or, or all those other genres. Right. So they're all like, shit, we need a science fiction comic. What have we got in the Marvel things that's science fiction? Okay, we've got Star Trek. Uh, what else do we have? We've got Star Lord. Okay, sure, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's put that together with Micronauts. Right, exactly. Boom. <laughs> and it was great. It was like, you know, six page episodes mm-hmm. every week. Which would be great if it wasn't for the fact that they were not being written as six-page episodes, so, you know. For serialized was literally, it would just end at a page. Yeah, I would think so. That thing underneath being like, next week. <laughs> next week, Commander Rand gets out of the bathroom, you know. That'd be the end of the sentence. Now let's dash dash. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, uh, okay, so uh, please continue with your list. Uh, so Machine Man 10. Is all right. Micronauts Annual Issue 1 is spectacular. Is it Mantlo and Golden? It's Mantlo and Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko. God, I wonder if I saw that issue. I must have because I was such a Micronauts fiend at the time. But a Flashback to what happened before Issue 1. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Commander Ran meeting the what's it called? It's called like the Galactic Defender, which is like one of the, the figures that never had appeared anywhere else in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have Marionette and Prince Argon, basically going we're screwed because <laughs> because their story pretty much begins with issue one. So right. pretty much you know a lot of pages of them being like, I don't like the look of this Baron Karza guy. <laughs> Uh, and then you have uh, Akriir and the Bug uh, fighting for their lives in the arena. 
before they, they uh, break free. It's it's great stuff. It's hilarious to see Mantlo just recycling everything in his brain. Because mm-hmm. Mantlo was never a great originator, but he was spectacular at synthesizing everything. Oh, completely. Yeah, agreed. His Kirby meets George Lucas meets, you know, Marvel cliches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Meets also in, in the Commander Rancer in this thing, meets like a, a monster comic from the 50s. Wow. Defender is this guy in a spacesuit who attacks them, and then it turns out that he's got to stay in his spacesuit because if he if he is exposed to the air, he will shrivel away and die. And that's how the story ends. Wow. With him being like, you've cracked my visor, and he grows old and dies in front of them. Wow. Oh, Lord. I got this for like, you know, 70 cents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what a great little fix. Uh, what do you think of the Mr. Miracle one-shot? I loved it. Is it your first time reading it, or you've read it before, of course? Uh, and I I expect to be... If that makes sense. I, I'm sorry, I missed that. What? I expected Roots to be much more Jack Kirby in it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's become that now. When he does Kirby characters now, he's very, you know, I am doing Kirby poses. I am doing Kirby explosion. And in this, he's still, like, he does a little bit of that. A little bit, but not as much as you would expect, right? It's kind of amazing. Which is, uh, was both a disappointment and really nice. Mm-hmm. Like, initially it was a disappointment. I think I when I bought it, I bought it pretty specifically because I was like, he's going to be doing Kirby. It's Mark Evanier. Mark Evanier is going to be doing Kirby. This will be awesome. Right. And it is awesome, but it's not the awesome I was expecting. Yeah, it's very it's very different. I really had a moment of like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's good. It's very light. It's something that you can't believe. Like, I can't believe would ever get published now because it's so throwaway. Yeah, it's super, super disposable. I mean, it it which is, again, that weird, like, surprising and almost disappointing but really ends up being its strength doesn't it it's a lot of the charm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a sense of like you know this is this is a caper and yeah. this is a caper that again it's Kirby but Kirby would have done in half the pages yes well for sure for sure yeah no I mean that's that's one of the things that is yeah it's it's so refreshing now to read something that's like not like a oh here's my attempt you know my my one issue go at like rebooting the entire new gods mythology and throwing in all sorts of other things so that you can, you know, it's like, they really seemed very aware that they were doing just a one-off that wouldn't necessarily lead to anything else. And they were perfectly happy with what they were doing. And it's very much a nostalgia trip as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The scenes that you would expect. They're like, here is Mr. Miracle getting out of a, a an inescapable death trap. While Oberon and Barda argue beneath him. Right. Here is, you know, Funky Flashman being a bit of a dick. Here is Darkseid being, you know, nefarious, but also incredibly benign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I have to say, I was, as you know, when I spoke to you last time, uh, I was rereading all the Kirby New God stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I read the Justice League origin, the the Jeff uh, Johns, Jim Lee thing. Right. Because I was just kind of like, I'm, I'm going to be really curious to go back and revisit how they handled Darkseid now mm-hmm. that I've read how Darkseid in my mind should behave right? 
And it's such a difference. Because mm-hmm. Darkseid is very benign. Mm-hmm. So evil that he doesn't do anything. Yeah. He doesn't really threaten. No, no, no. Yeah, there are times where he just shows up and sometimes it's not even really to glower. It's, it's like to philosophize, basically. Or he seems weirdly amused. Mm-hmm. So determined that like he will win. He's like, sure, you beat me this time. That's okay. Right. Yeah, no no sweat off my back. Well, I think uh, this might be a good little segue because one of the things where where I emailed you something where I'm like, this will be great. I'm looking forward to this intensive dialogue I'll be having with Graham, where I never heard back from you, uh, was I talked about reading Final Crisis, the hardcover? Oh, yes, which I also have done recently. <laughs> right, but you did it a couple of months back, right? I think, I want to say, like, just within the last three or four months. I, yeah, I, sooner than that. I want to say I did it sometime just after Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. So, well, so we read them very close together. It was probably you mentioned it that made me decide to do it. And it's it, it's interesting. I don't, you never responded to the comments, so I just get to say them over to you and put you on, uh, 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 on the witness stand. But doesn't it seem weird how it's almost more like the Final Crisis almost fits better into the new 52 than the old 52? I don't get what you're talking <clears throat> Ha! Really? I, 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 am, I am confused about that. Well, okay. So my thing is, is while reading Final Crisis, one of the things that um, reading it reading it as a hardcover, I'll let it go. Um, and, and having, how do I put this? Basically, you've got, um, you know, Ben Terrible Turpin shows up at the beginning uh, of the book and he's looking into the mor- murder of Orion and everyone seems a little confused about the new gods you know like they're kind of it's not no one's really quick to jump on the the wagon of like oh I totally know who this person is and this and this and that and that like you'll get the occasional panel or two or something but for me one of the things that I found really weird about Final Crisis um when it came out was that it seemed to work on its own set of rules that weren't necessarily the rules that it, you know, it, it was more faithful in its way to seven soldiers of victory than it was to the rest of DC continuity, which I guess you would expect from, from Grant Morrison in some ways, but I really felt it fit in with what's happening now in the new 52, you know, I mean, of course they just, the Wonder Woman just, uh, they've had Orion like being teased and he finally sort of gets in there now at the end of this issue or whatever. But, you know, there's just kind of that sense of um, the new gods and dark side are all things that the JLA don't really necessarily know what they're fighting or what they're dealing with. And then as things, as everything sort of starts to fall apart, um, that changes, I suppose. But, uh, wow, I've got to turn down this volume. I wonder what the hell happened. One moment, please. Good grief. I think it's going to kill somebody. All right, so um, do you know what I mean, or does that still not make any sense? Am I just being wrong and high? It feels as if Morrison has basically decided the only Kirby's New Gods material is mm. is canon. Well, but he doesn't even necessarily because... stick by it, do you think, really? Why? Well, I... I... I think it kind of does, mm-hmm. at least in terms of who knows who the new gods are, because right. of Superman familiar with them, which mm-hmm. makes sense because Superman meant them in the Kirby material. Right. 
And you have Batman sort of knowing who they are, which you couldn't sort of understand because, you know, he's Batman. He looks right. into these things. But the other characters are more... We've heard of these characters, but we've never met them. Right. Which, at least in a couple of cases, doesn't make sense. Like, Wonder Woman should not be having that reaction. Right. Uh, because, you know, Orion was in the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you mean in that sense. I thought you were going to say, tonally, it seems more like the New 52 because it is darker. And because it is, you know, uh, Turpin isn't just investigating the murder of Orion, but he's not. He's investigating the murder of the kids, isn't he? The disappearance of the kids. Oh, yeah, the disappearing kids, too, at the Dark Side Club. Club. I think you're right. I think you're right. But then when... But then I guess the corruption mm-hmm. of Turpin, mm-hmm. I thought, thought that was the parallel you were drawing. Uh, yeah, no. I. You know, it's funny. I There's other ways in which it remind. I guess, the... It strikes me as a lot of stuff in the New 52 trying to do things that Final Crisis might, you know, in a similar fashion, I suppose. But it just struck me as, yeah, no, unfortunately, I was going for a much more sort of superficial reading in the sense of people don't really seem to make sense. And, And just the idea that everything is kind of in flux. It just doesn't feel like things have gelled in terms of who everyone's relations are to each other seems very New 52 y to me. Well, what I also liked was, because I remember reading that as, especially as the series went on, mm-hmm. and especially as you get to the very end, where Morrison says it, it explicitly, mm-hmm. Darkseid's death basically has been fucking everything up from the get-go. Right, exactly. It's backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I, cause I remember when the when I read it serialized, mm-hmm. it definitely had a, what is going on with continuity? Mm-hmm. In, definitely in the first few issues. Right, because no one, no one acted, quote unquote, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All these, you know, that's not the way they act. And Grant Morrison knows this because he's previously written them differently. Right. And then I kind of appreciated the sort of meta joke, I guess, mm-hmm. which is all of these things have been happening because Darkseid has been pulling time down with him mm-hmm. as he dies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in some ways, it seems very much like he tries to revisit that with the action comics um, storyline that he's doing now, where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're being hunted in time, and therefore your timeline's being fucked with three ways at once. Yeah, and I feel that also ties in with uh, Seven Soldiers. Mm-hmm. I feel that the... God, was it Manhattan Guardian? That mm-hmm. has the, the, the kids, the, the, the children detective? Yes. It is Manhattan Guardian, right? But that the way that that tied in with what was happening in Zatanna and the idea of cross, not just cross title, mm-hmm. cross time. Yeah. Um, he's very, it, it, it is definitely very related to seven soldiers because he's very interested in the idea of telling a story about characters that do not appear on the page, I suppose, or that, only end up appearing on the page just in fragments. So the same way that the whole story of what happened to the kid sleuths is this big powerful thing in Seven Soldiers, the actions of what are the the thing that is happening to the monitors becoming infected with storyline becomes this big, you know, huge undercurrent of a story, but moving beneath Final Crisis, as is a couple of other things where I was like, oh, I, I don't remember them at the time, but I'm like, Oh, it's interesting that Morrison went to the lengths to like 
dot this I and cross these T's, you know? Yeah. Because um, I found the email, by the way. Oh, did you? Hey, there you go. By the way, I did respond. I just didn't respond to that. Because that was in the <laughs> middle of our complete gossip about Vertigo. No, that is true. That is true. You did You did I, respond. I've not, not responded to an email from Jeff. And true, I just completely ignored what is looking at it three quarters of the email choosing a sense to respond to a throwaway comment <laughs> that is true that is true it is not fair to you um, um anyway you also said that uh it becomes apparent that at least in the last half of the book morrison is trying to say something about race mm-hmm. that run one shot which i didn't read at the time is clumsy as hell and frankly exceptionally poorly drawn but between it and the two man's redemption arc and shiloh norman when Super Obama and Nubia show up, it doesn't feel nearly as out of left field as it did when I was reading the individual issues. Right. So did you have that same feeling? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. I did read Run at the same time. Uh, I see. Yeah, when I was out. totally out of it. So so that worked for you the first time around, or was that more apparent on a reread? Or I <clears throat> I was aware of it first time around, but because I went into it expecting more, mm-hmm. doing Mr. Miracle. I think Mr. Miracle is Morrison trying to... I think Morrison is really concerned with race, mm-hmm. but also incredibly inept at doing it right, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame. It's, it kind of, for me, gets back to what we were talking about with Alan Moore the other day. Mm-hmm. Talking about, you know, Alan Moore is trying to be um, sex positive, but because of his own internal set of values and, and the worlds he comes from mm-hmm. his version of sex positive comes across as like really weird to us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think morrison's the same i think morrison is trying to be race positive to create a, a totally apparent term yeah um and the way he goes about it is like weirdly cat-handed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know you get shiloh norman being the one person who can save us mm-hmm. but then I don't know. And then you get like super Obama because it's really exceptionally unsubtle. He's like, look, it's not <laughs> the white guys. Do you get it? It's not just, but at the same time, the story still ends with Superman. Well, see, and that's it. I think that's, that's the part that always undercuts him is. Or even before you get there, you have the, you have the run one shot, mm-hmm. which is a redemptive arc for the tattooed man. Mm-hmm. But you get there is like, crazily offensive full of stereotypes oh yeah just all over the place and just filled with yeah weird weird areas where it seems like he's chickening out on what he's saying oh hello can you hear me jeff lester are you there because i can't hear you anymore uh graham i am here you can't hear me you disappeared entirely for a second really how weird Hmm. um but what i was going to say Mm -hmm. was by the time you get to the run one shot and you get the, the not so much the tattoo man, although the tattoo man is very much Grant Morrison's badass of the time, if that makes sense, where he's like, I am going to talk and swear all the time. Mm-hmm. I see the swear, and so it's going to read incredibly artificially. And then even if you, you know, insert swearing in there, it's still going to read artificially because no one talks like that. Right. right. But I, the badasses talk like this. Therefore, that's the way I'm writing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have the kids, and the kid is the really problematic part of Ron. Oh, completely, yeah. Um, th- there's a... Again, like Dan Slott, where I think with Dan Slott with Spider-Man is trying to go towards some important point, but I just 
can't work out what it is. I think Morrison is trying to make some sort of connection about uh, urban cultures, and by that I don't mean urban as code word for black. I mean urban as urban, mm-hmm. like <laughs> city cultures, um, and a lack of opportunity and violence, and right. violence becoming a default. Mm-hmm. But it's it's so incredibly badly done. Yeah, that it comes across as I saw the gun, so I shot him, Dad. Right, exactly. I mean, I'm like, I really have to applaud you for being able to come up with a way that that <laughs> that that sounded at all sensible, Graham. I really do. Like, I'm like, huh. I don't know if that interpretation's in there, but I would think that it would have to be because otherwise, you're just left with nothing. I mean, I just feel like Morrison has always put himself in check a little bit. Like he loves the classic storylines of, you know, good versus evil, you know, but he also in, he's also well aware of, you know, shades of gray. And so I, I feel sometimes like it just totally screws himself up at a certain stage, you know, like there was some level of doing the invisibles where he tweaked the idea that, you know, evil people don't see themselves as evil you know, and and in fact, may not. You know what may be evil is is not what we really think evil is. You know, so screws him up that it's very hard for him to, I think, make it make a very um, what would be an easier point to make. I think if he was more didactic, I suppose. What's interesting is, you know, you say that, but Final Crisis is about absolute evil. An absolute evil in such a way that it becomes almost cartoonish. Yes. Like, a person doesn't simultaneously somehow does not believe that evil people perceive themselves as evil, or that evil as a concept actually exists, but he also believes that evil as an absolute concept absolutely exists. Mm-hmm. Which is... I don't know. If it's, it's very frustrating. It makes for a great superhero story, I guess. Because Morrison's evil is on such a scope. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is not beyond redemption, which I appreciate on like a mythic level. Mm-hmm. But try and approach it from almost any other level. It makes for an incredibly frustrating experience. Yeah, well, and that's it. And I think the problem with Run is he tries to work in a, a different form of experience, uh, and it and it pretty much gets canceled out by the ner- you know by the larger narrative itself. Yeah, yeah it, it was. Uh, so, what did you think of Final Crisis? Like, did you enjoy it more rereading it? I don't know. You know, that's that's a good question. I feel like, I think overall, I would have you to say that again. I, I love that I asked that question. Actually. Really, and then I disappeared. <laughs> am I am I back now, Graham? Can that's you? Great. Can, what do you think of it? Nothing. Oh, can you can you hear me? I can now. Yeah. Oh my god! What the hell is it? Is it um, the way I'm leaning back in the chair? Uh, okay, um, I did enjoy Final Crisis more. In fact, I would have to say, as a big, as you know, the big hardcover collection, the only thing that I feel they're really missing is um, they need more of the stuff from his Batman run. I think to to make it kind of all come together. You know, I think it, at least maybe those two issues where um, where Batman's captured and is being put under by the glob and you you know the two issues i'm talking about right you know those are in the absolute final crisis edition, right oh no i didn't know that are they it's all new story material from morrison and doug Mackey as well oh interesting huh, huh. I, i'm genuinely tempted to buy it if it was not a hundred dollars 
Oof, that's so absurd. Yeah, see, and that's that's part of it is, is I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't think I need that. It, this was a great like I checked it out of the library and read it, and I still love Superman Beyond. I think Superman. You're Beyond, gone again. Son of a bitch. <laughs> okay, yeah, you, yeah, you came back just with a sigh and then you disappeared, and then I, I got it because I could hear you typing, which honestly sounds like you're playing drums. Does it? It's like, yeah. So, um. Why don't we why don't we jump, I guess, and then maybe with the luck that when I call you back it will be better? I'm like, good grief. Let's try that. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cursed Wait What. <laughs> uh, uh, something weird is going on in Skype. Jeff and I have had some attempts at conversation that have gone completely awry. Yes. It might have been my internet. <laughs> We're not quite sure. I have at least just restarted my internet connection. Right. Uh, and so far I can still hear Jeff. What was going on basically was Jeff, I think, could hear me and I could not hear Jeff at all. Yes. Um, which is ironic seeing as I am the one who does not have a sore throat today. Yes, yes. So I got to do <laughs> lots of talking and then you'd be like, Jeff, Jeff. And then I start hollering and waving my arms. I actually, Graham, I have to say, if you ever get into the stage where you don't want to continue doing this podcast but feel obligated to... Um, <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> it? It is the perfect way to drive me and the listeners insane. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! That's all you'd have to do is I I would be making this point and you'd just have to go Jeff Jeff I'm sorry I can't Jeff and I'd be like ah oh, mother of God anyway Final Crisis hardcover I would throw in those two uh, tie-in issues with Batman I feel like it doesn't necessarily need the Return of Bruce Wayne stuff although Return of Bruce Wayne uh, is a strong piece it would also be kind of nice if there was more Superman stuff I don't know the Superman and the Legion stuff that's also taking place during Final Crisis isn't it? Well, it is and it isn't. Uh, I actually reread that last night. That's really weird to bring that up. Hmm. Um, because it kind of is in that Superman disappears from the story for a while. Mm -hmm. And then comes back and he is in the future with the Legion. Mm -hmm. But if you read the Superman Legion series, mm -hmm. Superman is like completely happy. And Legion are like, hey, do you have time to come to the future? And he's like, sure. Right. right. Which just doesn't tie in. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And also... Superman, if you go along with the uh, Legion of Three Worlds as happening in the middle of Final Crisis, there's no explanation for why he doesn't come back to the present with Superboy and Kid Flash, mm. who were both reborn in the end of that series. Hmm. So I'm not sure. And also, tonally, it is 100% miles away from Final Crisis and subject-wise as well. Like, there, there's no real connection to Final Crisis in there at all. Interesting. Because, of course, they have that one little moment where Superman and where Brainiac 5 shows Superman the ultimate machine. Yeah. Um, which allows him to essentially restart the universe. Um, but which which is lovely, because I think there's actually a panel of him restarting the universe that ties in with All-Star Superman number 10. You know, like there's there's a lot of stuff where Morrison uh, is is playing some really interesting like it's hit, you know him at doing some really exciting formalistic stuff even if it doesn't always feel like it holds together the ambition is just 
breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Hey, talk about formalistic. Have you seen the new issue of The Flash? Yes, yes. In fact, I was going to mention it in the new comics that we, uh, if we got around to talking about new comics, because I picked up some stuff. Yeah, first half of the issue, eh, and then second half, mother of God, that is an amazing thing. It really is kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of, it is great, because I picked up the book, and I'm like, I, you know, I think I've mentioned, we've chronicled here the whole thing of me going, why am I getting this? It's just diminishing returns. These storylines, it doesn't really matter. And I picked it up, and it was really because, of course, uh, Manipal does the, the art for the second half. In uh, the first half, it's someone else, and it's like it's like looking at a Marvel comic from the 80s, basically. Um, and I was like, oh, this is just not selling it for me. And then that sequence is so brilliant. And then... It's it's just that's just a stunning sequence. That is a stunning sequence that that you know, I I put it down like God damn it, New Fifty Two. At least it produced this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, there is one of those. I I kind of feel that about the New Fifty Two in general now, where I'm like I'm feeling so separated from these comics and these characters who I still love, mm-hmm. but I I feel so removed from these versions. But at least it's given me this the Flash, and at least it's given me Morrison's action yeah exactly and that's it yeah these little bits and pieces um did you read batman incorporated number six is that the one that came out this week it it is the one that came out yesterday but no the only new comics i've read this week are flash and new avengers oh oh how was how was new avengers is that is that issue three in the no wait it's issue one it's it's the the new avengers oh okay the new issue of Avengers, right? <laughs> there, as opposed to Avengers or Uncanny Avengers. Okay, so who's who's doing new new Avengers? Hickman and Steve Epting. Oh, so that's why I'm confused because it's Hickman's other Avengers title. Yes, it's the one about the Illuminati. I see. And uh, how was it? It's it's a comic that exists. <laughs> uh, what is hilarious is I read. I guess it would have been Avengers issue two. Mm-hmm. And was like, oh, I feel like I'm finally. I feel like I finally found a Hickman book that I like. Mm-hmm. After being really disappointed by the first issue, the second issue, for some reason, really brought me on board. Wow. And I was like, great. And then the then I read this, and I was like, and I'm not on board. Yeah, you just been pushed right off of the bus. You just barely pulled yourself onto. Yeah. Oh, well, that's rough. Did you read Abhay's little roundup over at SavageCrack.com of the end of the year? Uh, about secret. Yes. Yes. That was fucking glorious, you know. Um, and I really felt like I thought Abe did a great job of, for those who haven't read it yet, listeners, I high, highly encourage you to go over to savagecritic.com and, and click on uh, Abe's name so that you can see the recent stuff that he's done. He did a, a best of, end of uh, list for 2012. Which and is titled 2012, A Year That I Mindlessly Consumed Entertainment. <laughs> yes. And his comments about hating Jonathan Hickman's secret miniseries and, of course, loving to hate Jonathan Hickman's uh, secret miniseries, I thought he did such a good job of articulating why he loved to hate it and kind of why that was okay, I suppose. Like, it was it was actually, I think, also one of the more benevolent versions of... Uh, explanations for sort of hater culture. You know what I mean? Like, 
because I think although although he's uh, very sort of uh, cruel and acerbic and hilarious in it, I also think that there's a certain amount of it's not without its compassion where he talks about the how fascinating it is to see someone fail, like seeing seeing someone fail at comics who've done a lot of comics, as he puts it. I think that's I think that's really a um, I don't know. I just I just found I it, it was one of those things that made me feel a lot better about any number of things in ways that it would be uh, kind of odd to articulate, I guess. Yes, <laughs> I, I have nothing to add to that. What else did you read this week, Jeff? Uh, well, let me see. Uh, one of the things that I read that I thought was uh, phenomenal is the one shot um, Sachi Chan Good, which uh, the first half of it ran in the Shonen Jump Alpha yearbook 2013. This was a print periodical that they released that they were supposed to give to all the Shonen Jump Alpha subscribers, and they handed out free copies at New York Comic Con, and then were like, your issue's showing up soon. And finally, I wrote them and was like, hey, guys, it's January. When is my print edition showing up soon? And it actually showed up like two days later in one of those weird, like, you know. We definitely didn't just mail it. Yeah, exactly. Lord knows we, we're not under strict instructions to only mail it to subscribers who ask for it. No, it's not that. It's all just timing. Anyway, Sachi-chan, good. Uh, they have the first half in the print edition, but the full one-shot online digitally it is by uh masukazu katsura who is a shonen jump alpha artist who's um done a bunch of other stuff including he he did the designs for tiger and bunny which means not really much for me but the other thing that's kind of just amazing about it is is that he is also working with um uh, uh Toriyama, uh, Kazuhiko, uh, Tor- no, that's not it. It's Akira Toriyama, who's the guy who did um, Dr. Slump and Dragon Ball. And um, so it's a one shot about a girl, a school girl who gets picked up by an alien race who needs Earth's two best fighters to defeat uh, these intergalactic invaders that uh, have attacked their planet. And because they are such a peaceable planet, they have no concept of force or anything. So they pick these two people, one because the one person is like an awesome um, martial artist. And then there's Sachi-chan, the schoolgirl who they pick pretty much because she says she's an awesome artist, uh, martial artist because she wants the reward. And so I don't know, for those people who've read Toriyama's Dr. Slump, it's actually very, very similar in terms of like, it's just a weird, goofy story that is mainly about people talking about poops and making other people's eyes bug out. And then there's a bunch of like huge over the top fights at the end. Um, but there's something about the fact that it also sounds like it could be like a Silver Age DC story that John Broom might have written. Um, it's just, it's, it was just unbelievably great. Uh, the digital version for people who are shown in Jump Alpha subscribers, um, go hunt it up because you're they they've got it tucked away in the preview section of your manga, and you can get a free copy. It's like a fifty-two page manga book that I adored. I thought that was great. It, um, it kind of sounds awesome. It also reminds me of again. I'm going to talk about a podcast. 
ignoring that you don't listen to podcasts. Yes. Uh, Chris Downey, who is a writer and the executive producer on Leverage, yes. which is a show I love that's just finished, has a podcast called The Downey Files, in mm-hmm. which he and writers of his acquaintance make up movies based upon log lines that he has had for years and not done anything with. Oh, that's fantastic. That's just like one of the best ideas for a podcast ever. And it's like, it's like half each episode is half an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have one called Miss Universe, mm-hmm. which uh, I would genuinely watch. The idea is aliens are coming to invade Earth, and they, as is their want, they give every planet they invade 24 hours to basically surrender. Mm-hmm. But they have to make this offer to the person who rules the planet. And as they're coming towards us, they intercept transmissions and they think that the Miss Universe contest means that Miss Universe is actually being crowned the best human being alive. (laughs) And so she becomes the person they have to negotiate with. That's beautiful. I would totally watch that. I know, right? Oh, my God. Um, But so anyone who wants to listen to that podcast. It's called The Downey Files. There's two episodes devoted to Miss Universe, and they literally go through the entire story, all the way through to completion. Oh, my God. That is beautiful. That is that is a beautiful thing. Um, can I put you on hold for one second? I'll grab the stack of comics and run quickly through the stuff that I've... Sure. Yeah, hold on one second. Just one, one second. Hey, I'm back. You are back. Hello, Jeff. Were you just? Were you actually quiet during that time? I was. Normally... I was quiet during the entire time. Oh my god! I don't even believe it. Because I'm totally like, I got off the phone. I'm like, okay, gotta hurry back before Grant comes up with some really entertaining way to trash talk me. I, I was not. I was not trash talking you at all. I was letting you cut that out entirely, so you don't even have to say I'm going to put you on hold. Wow. Well, so it was a pretty good week for me. Uh, maybe because I didn't go to the store for like three weeks, but um, so that was. Sachi Chan Good was terrific. Uh, Batman Incorporated number six had some lovely stuff in it, but also felt kind of weirdly filarific to me. Um, Saga issue eight, terrific. Um, I, Saga really does just not let you down, doesn't it? It it really does. It really is one of those things where it's like you. It's like I read it, I enjoy it. It's got some. The thing that I think is really amazing to me is the first couple of issues felt so full of story um, (coughs) that I would actually be like, wait a minute, is this actually only 20 pages, 22 pages? Now, weirdly enough, like this issue on the one hand was was much more about getting a sense of who the characters were, I suppose, and, and very you know incrementally inching forward the story, but was so deeply satisfying on a character front. Like it's kind of exactly precisely what you needed from this point in the storyline and so it was just awesome also again i think the key to having a truly enjoyable monthly experience for me is having a letters page that i like reading and uh, saga always delivers on that front so um wonder woman issue 15 where orion shows up i found I really had moments where I was like, I can't believe I'm still reading this. I can't believe Brian Azzarello is still writing it. But um, that's one where it's like Cliff Chang's art is so good. And I I think I'm just going to look back. Maybe we'll all look back over the fact that he was able to do a monthly book and get this many issues out for a story that has just become so minor, I guess, for me. What is funny to me is uh, I got mailed a copy of Wonder Woman issue 15. Mm-hmm. I have not, I've not read it since the first storyline. Oh, interesting. And part of me was just like, wait, this is where the book is? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's like a year later, and mm-hmm. this is where the book is? Yeah. 
kind of sad, isn't it? the Orion thing at all and that's that really upsets me because I really like Orion as a character mm-hmm. and I'm just kind of like this is a generic person who kind of looks like Orion if Orion was wearing a jacket yeah yeah no kidding right I mean he looks he looks kind of strange and blocky with his helmet he looks it, it's amazing to me that Cliff Chiang who, who can take so many characters take incredibly generic characters and make them look really distinct has done a remarkable job of taking Orion, who's a pretty unique character, and made him look very generic. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing. Yeah, well, kind of a bummer. Um, Flash 15, which again, I, I was like, eh, until the end, and then I was like, sweet Jesus, that's just phenomenal. Um, Fatal, issue 11, um, I quite liked. In fact, I, I think it's, as a one-shot I was going to say it was exceptionally strong, but I don't think, you know, that sort of makes it sound like you could pick it up and you would read it and be entertained or enjoy it. And I don't think that's really the case. It it fit a very nice, it was a nice sweet spot for Brubaker and for the series in the sense of it's a one-off that ties into the larger mythology that also, I think, sheds a lot of light into the way that... Um, that Brubaker's conceived of the book in a lot of ways. Like, he really brings the um, the pulp fiction roots to the forefront in this kind of very interesting way um, and use what, uses what he knows about the fucked-up lives of previous um, pulp writers and kind of goes in, in an interesting direction. Not, not especially deep, but but uh, very well done and enjoyable. The ish, Prophet, issue 32, don't think that you would like it. It was written and drawn by Simon Roy and um, is really strong, actually. I really liked it. It did a, It's the first issue that I felt really kind of spelled out <clears throat> the overall plot of the series in a way that I went like, oh, that's a really good hook. I wish I was, you know... I was, wish I was reading that book, Oh Wait, I Am, sort of, you know? <laughs> like, that sounds like more of a diss, that I'm like, oh, this is that book. Like, it was kind of like, oh, the potential for this storyline is really big in a way that's very inspiring. So, uh, Godzilla, Half Century War, was great. I, I mean, for people who like seeing James Stucco draw, like, not only Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla, but an interstellar space godzilla at the same time and then have them all fight um really again like minor but great and then witch doctor malpractice which was just phenomenal and it really made me wish that um and by wish mean like maybe i should really sit down and hunt up the issues of uh of hellraiser that um that brandon seifert is doing for boom because mm-hmm. his Cenobite analogs that pop up in the middle of this, the surgeons, are incredibly well handled. And I just, I don't know, I just, I love his approach to the book. So, um, really strong week for comics. Not a strong week for comic reviewing on my part, because there's a lot of me going noises like, blah, 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 and this was good, and blah, 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 this was awesome, and blah, 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 this this blew up. Another thing that I did want to mention, Graham, I don't think it would necessarily be to your taste, but... um, on Comixology, I picked up uh, – sh- oh, gosh. It's going to be one of those things where I'm not going to be able to flip to it fast enough and then the Apple crash. Um, there there was the creator – oh, 
you're going to tell me his name. Shotaro Ishinomori um, has a bunch of titles up on Comixology. Uh, Kikator, Kamen Rider, or Kamen Rider? Um, Cyborg 009. Uh, like, really old-school manga from, like, the 70s. Super heavy Tezuka influence. Um, but also, is this not the stuff that was the basis for... Shit, what is it? It was adapted for something in America. Uh, yes, uh, a variety well, of stuff it? has. Is uh, it... well, Help me with this, Jeff, because you know this stuff and I don't. I don't. I don't know it as well, so it's going to be problematic. I know that Common Writer, which is the K A M E N, which is basically a guy on an awesome motorcycle. Like a lot of the footage of these shows got worked into stuff like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Which uh, or or some of the other Japanese TV shows where it was actually footage cut from like two different TV shows of like people punching and kicking one another, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm tempted to say that one of them I'm probably drawing a blank. It's it's the Power Rangers Super Sentai. It yeah, ended up as Power Rangers. Okay, so so yeah, so there's a hu- you know he's got a huge influence, but Kikator, which I read the first issue of is this weird mix of like sort of in the same way that people created speed racer after seeing superman uh Kikator is kind of like trying to create a marvel comic but using like tezuka and disney's pinocchio as your touchstones i guess so it's about this guy who builds a whole bunch of robots, and there's the one robot that he puts in, just like in Pinocchio, instead of a Jiminy Cricket, there's the Jiminy Circuit, which is an amazing pun. Uh, that, that is awesome. That helps the robot tell good from evil. So, but he, uh, the scientist dies before the chip can fully be put in. The robot grows up and, um, grows up. He, you know, uh, ends up wandering around half the time he is like playing a guitar and looks like as they keep putting it like a hero out of a japanese tv show from the 60s like guitar in the back goggles on his head who's supposed to save people and help people but in the meantime all these other robots that are uh in under the serving the evil scientist who was the good scientist's partner um are in the process of trying to um attack Kikator and um so it's a lot of like giant super robot fights but there's all this weird stuff about it that seems very marvel comicsy in part because he's like wandering from like town to town moping about the fact that no one appreciates him and of course he's in love with this woman and it's it's very hulk and betty bannerish but at the same time he's also very much like i'm a robot and I don't, because my Jiminy circuit is broken, I don't know right from wrong. And and at a certain point, he realizes, and that's what makes me more like a human being than these other robots are. So he chooses to actually have the broken circuit. It's it's almost very Machine Man-ish in that regard, too. You know, um, He would actually rather be a flawed robot because that makes him closer to an actual human being. And meanwhile, he's fighting, you know, giant... He fights this robot that that looks like Count Dracula and turns into a giant bat robot. Just crazy ass shit. So very the the fight scenes are very campy, but then there's a lot of morose moping 
that I really dig the shit out of. So um, I, I enjoyed the first volume of that tremendously, and I've, I actually got that on sale and have picked up the second volume to start reading. It kind of sounds awesome, it has to be said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty hard to, to beat that sort of, um, like, everything all in a bag. And like I said, again, it's like a 70s Marvel comic, except it so clearly is not. Um, <laughs> in a way that would have precisely... What endears me now is what I think would have completely alienated me like 15, 20 years ago, if not 10. So, And that's my comics wrap-up. The end. And uh, that's pretty much a wrap-up for the episode. We didn't even vaguely get to the question. <laughs> except, except for the that's poor person who acted about misfits. I know, that is bad. I would have thought that we would have at least answered one question, really. Um, no. <laughs> Everyone who left us questions... It, by the way, oh, it's the beginning of December. Thank God. Yeah. I was really worried it was the end of November for a second. <laughs> we'll really try them next week, I promise. Yeah, we'll honestly. See also, next week, uh, we'll see how many of them are actually still appropriate. Well, there is that. There are a lot of them that are kind of, um, you know, if nothing else, I felt like <clears throat> revisiting our talk about Vertigo and Gail Simone and some of that other stuff would have been entirely appropriate. Also, what we do, you might be able to talk without coughing. Wouldn't that be lovely? That That's, would be lovely. We'll see if it can happen, Jeff. Yeah. Dream that dream. Yeah, dream big, Graham. Dream big. <laughs> Everyone, this is Wait Watch 2013. This is what it's going to be like for the rest of the year. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you want to sing us out, Graham? 